Well, how many of you have felt foolish in your life at one time or another? How many of you, it's a natural occurrence? It happens all the time. It's like your day job. Oh, man, mine too. God gives me good stories. Half I can't share with you because they're too embarrassing. Okay. In this passage, what's the first phrase you see in chapter, or chapter 3, verse 1? What do you see? You foolish Galatians. Foolishness. That word means thoughtlessness. That means you're not thinking. So when he says, you foolish Galatians, hey, Galatians, you're not using this. Well, in 2003, I was a a senior in college, and um, I'd just gotten out of a serious relationship. And so, like any wise man, I thought getting right back into another one would be a good idea. And so I weighed my options and saw some nice people, and one in particular wouldn't return my calls, didn't want anything to really do with me, but I didn't listen to that. And so one day, I'm in the cafeteria at the university, and, you know, when you come from a high school cafeteria to a university cafeteria, it's an upgrade, you know? It's just like you look, and it's all you can eat, everything that's good that you probably shouldn't eat. And so I would always have, at lunch, I would always have this ice cream cone, just always, because I could. And so I remember one day this gal came up to me as I'm eating my ice cream cone. And she says to me, Brendan, can I have some of your ice cream? (gasps) She wants to share ice cream with me. Now, until this point, she didn't really want anything to do with me. I wasn't a creepy guy or anything. She just didn't like me that way. But I'm thinking, man, this is taking the relationship to a new level from hi, leave me alone to let me have your ice cream. And I... I'm like, I'm going, hmm, pondering real quickly. I'm like, this is weird, but okay. So as I'm handing it, you ever have that moment where you see your, lo- your life, what it could be, flash before your eyes? You ever see that? So as I'm handing it, I'm seeing where we're getting married. I'm seeing how many kids we're going to have, where we're going to live. And she takes that thing, and I'm like, she's going to have some of my ice cream. She bites the bottom of the cone off and then gives it back to me as the ice cream shoots through the bottom all over my clothing. Ouch. That one stung, and people wonder why I have insecurity issues. <laughs> you could say I felt foolish because I didn't recognize the signs. Right? I mean, here you have a pattern of behavior that says one thing and this one moment that contradicts that entire pattern of actions. And I ignored it because I wanted to believe what she was, what she was doing. I wanted to believe that it was real. I wanted to believe that it was hope for a dire situation. I wanted to believe that in my situation of, at that moment of pain and questions or this or that, it being hard to represent Jesus in the midst of all of this stuff, that there is a ray of hope. And it kind of just literally fell through the bottom. And I felt foolish. Well, this is what Paul's addressing. As a bunch of people, these Galatians, these foolish Galatians, and he uses the word that are being bewitched into believing that there is something other than Jesus, that there's something that we need to add to belief or faith in Christ Jesus. Hence, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So just to back up a little bit, the last few weeks, we've been talking about how Paul is addressing these these Gentiles that are being persuaded, that are being 
um, manipulated into believing that they have to follow Jewish customs in addition to Jesus. So Jewish Christians are saying to these Gentiles who they believed were godless people. Remember this, okay? I mean, this is huge disdain for a group of people because they are not Hebrews. They're not Israelites. They're not people of God. And so they're saying, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you also have to now be circumcised. You also have to now do this. And Paul's saying, no. Now, all of us here, unless you're Jewish by birth, are Gentile. So if we are in Paul's time and we were interacting with Jews, they would think that we are godless people, that we will be a forgotten people because we're not people of God. And Paul is saying Jesus came, Jesus came so that Gentiles could have new life in Christ Jesus. All people, not just the Jews, but also, also non-Jews, Gentiles. And so, you know, I, I'm reading through this and I'm going, well, this sounds like the same thing we went through in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Why is Paul being so redundant? Why is he saying the same thing over again? How many of you had someone tell you the same thing over again? And yet, you know, how many of you listened to that? It's the same thing. Whether it's right or wrong, sometimes when we hear repetition, we kind of just shut it off. But there's a reason for it. And Paul is saying, he is frustrated. Because he starts this off, you foolish Galatians, exclamation point. You're foolish. And, oh man, electronics. Here we go. So, he has this, he has this strong way about him where he really takes risks with how he says things. At least it seems that way to us, doesn't it? I mean, I, you, know, if, if, you know, I wake up in the morning, I go to work, and I see Mark in the hallway. I, you know, the first thing I say to him is, it, you foolish man! <laughs> have I said that before? I may have. Might have. I might have. Just a mess. But no, you know, I don't say that to him. And granted, Paul has a different introduction in chapter 1. But he continues to say strong things from the beginning to the end of the book. And it's in this way of authority, though. It's not like he's just running his mouth to flex his spiritual muscles. He's saying what needs to be said in spirit and truth with the authority he gets only from Jesus. And we establish that his authority, the gospel that he was taught, was from Jesus. It wasn't from anyone else. It wasn't from Peter. It wasn't from James. It wasn't from John. It was from Jesus. So he can speak this way because he's speaking in the authority of Jesus. Now... Last week, we had a really powerful message that Mark delivered about Minnesota Nice. Who remembers this? Who was tested with this this week? Anybody? Whether you went through with it or not. Come on. Anyone tested? Anyone was passive this week? Didn't share something? Paul's the opposite of that, right? He says what's on his mind. And he does it in a way where people listen because he is gracious, but he is true and he shoots straight. And we have to pay attention to that. So Mark really um, did a beautiful job at showing how the people of God, we have to be able to speak the truth in love and grace, but nonetheless speak the truth. Because we have too many people around us that will be led astray thinking you have to add something to your relationship with Jesus. And sometimes a hard word is necessary. And Paul is not afraid to do that because one, he knows who he is. And two, he walks in that authority. As Christians, we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. We're his children. As we will see in just a minute, we are also the children of Abraham, which means children of faith. And two, walk in that authority. 
live in that authority. Has anyone other than me struggled with walking in the authority of Jesus? Yeah, it's hard, is it not? We take the uh, expectations of people around us and allow that to dictate our actions, our thoughts, and our thoughts about who we are, which we feel and allow to diminish our authority that we have in Christ Jesus. So, that being said, Paul is addressing it the way he does. You foolish Galatians. And then in, in the, the first few verses, he asks questions. Was it the law that, that justified you? No, it was the Spirit. What you heard about the Spirit, why are you going back? Why are you going back to something that cannot bring you to Christ Jesus? That cannot justify you. Why would you do that? Well, the second thing he says here is, who has bewitched you? Now, most of these questions are rhetorical. He knows the answer to these things. Who has bewitched you? Now, that is a powerful word that's used. In the Greek, it is bewitched. And it's a word that was used in his time in the context of pagan magic. So imagine, here's a man of Jesus using the word towards Christian Jews, who we are calling in this context Judaizers, those who are adding to the gospel. He's calling them those who bewitched Gentile Christians. That's not a compliment. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a big, a big deal to us in the day of Harry Potter and all this other stuff because you hear the, the bewitch, the witch, the this, whatever, and that's not a big deal. But in that time, that phrase had power to it. So when he says, who has bewitched you, that means they're under an evil spell. That's literally what it means, an evil influence. So he's saying that even though these people claim to be in Christ Jesus but are adding to the gospel, they're evil. What they're doing to Gentile Christians is evil. Now, I've had plenty of people I know love Jesus at one time or another in my life say I needed to do this or not do that in order to be a Christian. Anyone ever heard that? Uh, when I was a kid, it was, if you wear your hat in church, man, you are not a Christian. Really? Wow, I'm in trouble. You know, I've heard if you don't come to church this amount of times, this amount of this, this amount of that, you're not a Christian. Right? These expectations get put on us. These are the things, again, this is the Judaizers. This is kind of what they did. And I remember even in college they had this, this thing where you had to go to chapel a certain amount of times during the year, and if you don't, you lose financial aid. True story. Isn't that crazy? So Paul's going, no, who's bewitched you to think this way? Because that's evil thinking. Now that's harsh because we've all been guilty of that. I've said, you know, this person should do this or not do that. That's separate from Jesus, thinking they should be doing that and adding to Jesus. That's just as evil. And so we've all taken part of that in some way, shape, or form, but that cannot be the norm of how we live. We're going to have those moments, those ups and downs, and so, Paul's saying, these, these people are, are leading you into evil things. And we have that all around us in our own context. It looks differently, but we have it. If, if you're not, I mean, the big one for me was like, you know, if you're really going to really believe in Jesus, you need to wake up at 5 a.m., first red flag for me. I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> and spend two or three hours in the Word. Sit at your coffee table. I don't have a coffee table. Get one. <laughs> and you read. 
And then you pray for another hour. And I'm going, man, that's a whole morning of doing it that way. And I used to live that way thinking that, I mean, I never did that. I used to live with that thinking, though, that that was what I had to do. It's not like that, right? The reality is not like that. God speaks to us in different ways. We connect to him in different ways. And that's all good because it's all about Jesus. And if we're engaging Jesus, whichever way we're doing that, through the word, through 5 a.m., four hours a day, in the Bible, at your coffee table, great. But when you start putting that expectation on other people, when they start putting it on you and saying that you need to do this in order to have value in the kingdom, that's evil. Straight up. I'm just going to say it that way. If you disagree, that's all right. But that's what I see in the scripture here. Isn't that what you see? Who has bewitched you? I've been bewitched several times. And it's not fun. It separates us from what God wants. So Paul, he sends Paul his messenger to make it clear what needs to happen. And then in verse 7 through 9, we have this. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Well, we go back and we look in Genesis, we look at the covenant between God and Abraham. And we see in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer says, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abraham did that. By faith, by faith. I mean, it's faith agnosium with Abraham. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's faith, faith, faith with this guy. And those who believe in Christ Jesus are children of Abraham. Now, if you're a Jew and someone is preaching that you're going to be a child of Abraham if you believe in Jesus, I mean, especially for a Gentile, I mean, being, being a child of Abraham back then was you're a Jew, right? And can you imagine someone saying that? You're a Jew, and you're hearing that you don't even have to be Jewish. It's a Gentile, one that you thought was godless, one that you thought was the scum of the earth, now has access to everything that you do or should, and you're now considered a brother and sister because you're now a child of Abraham with them. But Paul makes it clear it's, it's not about your bloodline. It's about your belief in Christ Jesus that makes you a child of faith, that makes you a child of Abraham. Because it's only by faith. It's not by the law. Jews kept the law. It's not by the law, he says. It's by faith in Christ Jesus. Do we have any big readers here? I commend you. <laughs> I know. Do we have people that don't like to read? Yes. We'll have a support group after this. I love story. I love seeing it through film. I've talked about it a bunch. I use illustrations from film. And one of the guys that's spoken to my life a lot, especially, especially in the realm of faith, is Indiana Jones. And we're going to, it's true, it's true. He had to believe a lot to get through some of his stuff. I'm going to show you a clip here. Who's seen uh, Indiana Jones in the, uh, what is it, Last Crusade? Sean Connery? I'm not going to try and do the voice. I tried doing it like a few months ago. And I got mocked for it. So I don't have that much confidence in myself. I'm fragile ego here. So, no. So you're going to see him in this context. You're going to see Indiana Jones having to go through a series of obstacles in order to get the Holy Grail, which has, the what is it, the spring of life. And you fill that up, and it's going to save his dad who just got shot. So what we're going to see here is his struggle to believe. Hit it.
Only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. It's impossible. Nobody can jump this. Ah! Indy! And you must hurry! seen that five times this morning, and every time I'm like, <gasps> you always think something's going to be different, right? I mean, every time I was sitting there remarking, oh, oh my gosh, I've seen like 30 times. So here you see a guy that's faced with a decision to step out in a path he cannot see. But because he cannot see the path does not mean it's not there. Let me say that again. Just because you, as a follower of Jesus, cannot see the path does not mean it's not there. And it is terrifying. You look down, you hold your chest, and you give a little sarcastic smirk halfway through when you realize, well, duh. When I step out, God's there. And what's so cool is, you know, when we watch this clip, we think the power is in the first step. Well, there's power to it. But what you see is, is faith to its completion, and that he walks across, he realizes halfway through, wow, this is, Real stuff. God's doing something here. And then he gets to the end and he throws sand on it so people know the way. What do you think Paul's doing? He's, he's been ushered into relationship with Jesus. He's taken his step of faith. And now he's, he's laying sand on this path you cannot see so that you can. This is where you need to go. Don't go here. Don't go there. You're going to fall off. Mark and I were just talking about it. It would be funny if they showed a clip where he just fell off just to mess with people. An alternate ending there. But the fact is he doesn't. Right? He keeps going because he trusted. And then he had Sean Connery doing his little dramatic thing near his death. And uh, Got to believe. Got to believe. I'm not gonna, again, I'm not going to do the accent. You got to believe. Well, you do have to believe. If we are going to move into a discipleship culture and understand what I mean by that, it's someone that simply follows Jesus and goes where he goes. But guess what? He's always going to lead you to people. Always. He's always going to lead you to people because discipleship is about people. God pours into you, and you pour out what God's doing in you into someone else. Pretty simple, isn't it? 
It's really complicated. So when you hear discipleship, we're kind of like, does that mean more programs that focus on this or more of this that focuses on that? No, you focus on people. That's what, that's what we're called to do is focus on people. But discipleship takes faith. It takes huge faith. Some of us don't like people. That's true, right? Some of us are having an anxiety attack right now because we're surrounded by all these people. But God calls us to love those people. And so that takes courage. So that takes faith that God is going to protect you, protect your heart as you step into relationship with someone and you share what Jesus is doing in your life. And some of us doubt that, though, sometimes. I mean, I even did right there as I'm watching something I already know the ending to. So you can know all you want to know, and you'll still find yourself doubting. So here's the deal. Doubt's going to be there. We have to learn to move through it. So whether you know your path or not doesn't matter because you're still going to find yourself in a place of doubt. Because I knew I had to preach today, but that doesn't take the challenge out of it. Right? Having the knowledge about something ahead of us that we don't usually know, that doesn't always give us an advantage. So, that being said, that we all doubt, no matter what we know, we see the beauty of faith. Man, if I knew how I was going to die, that would be horrible. (laughs) It would. I would hate having that, that knowledge. I mean, that would rob me of so many different things. Some people would think, well, I'm going to live my life to the fullest. Well, if you're not doing that now, there's a problem. So there's a beauty in faith. I love not knowing, to be honest with you, because I'm always surprised. I shouldn't be because God is amazing, and he always provides. But these are excuses we make. You know, the the Hebrews and the, the Jews, they're famous for this. I mean, you have Exodus. God has just brought the plagues down on Egypt. Now, if any of us saw that, is that not enough evidence? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And then he ushers them out of years and years and years of slavery. They're free now, and they come up to the Red Sea, and they're frightened because they don't see any way across, and they see Pharaoh coming to get them. But yet they have just seen the glory of God. Why, why would he do all of that? Get him to that point and just let him be killed. Does that make sense? Is that logical? You don't even have to be over-spiritual about that. Just logically speaking, that makes no sense. Okay? And so they're terrified, but they've just seen the glory of God. Why would they be terrified? Because it really doesn't matter what you've seen or not sometimes. Fear can make us forget. Can it? I mean, I'm sure every single one of us can testify to a way God has moved in your life, but when we face a challenge, sometimes we forget that and know that he moved, know that he's going to move. And so we go, the Jews go, well, at least with Pharaoh, we, had, we knew what we were in. There was no question of what we were doing. Let's go back to that. They actually wanted to go back to that because it was the known zone. They know exactly what's happening there, so that's more comfortable. Even though they don't like it, at least it's not unpredictable. So this was unpredictable for them. So we, as Christians, in the 21st century, right? We're in the 21st century, not the 20th, okay? 
we today deal with the same stuff. We make the same excuses. I'd rather go back to what I knew because at least I knew it. It's tough right now because I don't know where God wants to lead me, and that's scary. I mean, as a church that is moving against the grain because we are, discipleship as a church, and we don't have all the answers to those questions because we're moving by faith one step at a time of what that looks like, but not everyone's doing that. And I don't get that, really, because I think the last thing we see that Jesus says in the book of Matthew is go and make what? Yup. And you better believe the last thing anyone says, hopefully, if, you're, if you know it's going to be your last moment and you're going to say something to your loved ones, I mean, you're not going to go like, peace out, right? I mean, that's not going to be the last thing you say. You better believe the last thing you say, you're hoping is going to be important, right? You're pouring out your heart in all seriousness. And Jesus says, with his last moment with them there in the flesh, he says to them, go and make disciples. So you better believe that's important to Jesus. So it needs to be important to who? Us. It has to be priority numero uno. But it's scary because the Lord's going to lead us into relationships that we wouldn't pick for ourselves. He's going to call you to share your story, which can be scary He's going to call you to do some things that are all going to be in the unknown zone. But just because you don't see the path doesn't mean it's not there. The Jews were right in front of the Red Sea. They didn't see a way across, but guess what? There was one. See, doubt and fear try to convince us there isn't one because you don't see one. And I don't see a lot of stuff. But the Lord reveals it in his time as long as we keep being faithful. As long as we keep abiding in him. So as a congregation, we've got to keep learning how to do that. We're not going to have all the questions we want answered in our time, but God will answer them. People say, again, I've got to say this because this is just funny. Pastors say to me when we talk about trying to develop a, a discipleship culture here, they're like, good luck. What? Good luck because it's hard. It's hard because it takes all of us. And it takes all of us going out and putting ourselves out there every day. Because the work doesn't happen in here. You know that, right? It doesn't. This is where we celebrate the work out there. As Dave said a few weeks ago, we celebrate here today what God is doing in us and through us for his kingdom out there. And for a lot of church bodies, that's scary. Rightfully so. But we cannot go back to just doing what we used to do because that's easy because it's in the known zone. But going this direction, we don't have all the answers, so that's more challenging. But we cannot flee from that because I'm going to say it again, as Paul will say it over and over, just because you don't see the path doesn't mean it's not there. We have got to trust him with each step that we take into the future. We have to trust him with every single decision we have to make. We have to because he will provide in abundance. But the world is going to try and bewitch us and think we need to add something to who Jesus is to make things better, to make things more structured, to make things easier for us to make decisions. And we can't fall for it anymore. In 2000, I think it was 9 or 2010, there was a common scam going on all over the place. And you would have, let's just say, a mom who has a son that's out of the house and 
a person will call pretending to be the son from a different country. And they have an idea of general information that would be convincing to the mom that this is her son. They would fake the voice. They would have enough information to convince this mom that this is her son. And they'll say, well, I went on this trip out of the country or out of the state. I got in an accident, and I need money wired to me right away. And because it looks, it sounds, it seems like it's, it's her son, what is she going to do? She's going to provide. And little does she know, she's being swindled. She's being scammed. And so she gives all this money to this account for what she thinks is her son, who she finds out later is not. She'll call and say, hey, did you get the money? And he goes, what are you talking about? Well, aren't you out of the country, didn't it? No, I'm down the street eating, co- you know, having a donut and coffee. Bewitched, swindled, because it looks similar, it feels similar, but it doesn't mean it's the reality. So we're going to be tempted in our individual lives when God calls us discipleship to add things, to say, we need this, we need that. We need more than just Jesus. You don't need more than just Jesus. And do not ever doubt your value in Jesus and what you can do. That's the other thing I want to encourage you with today, is that it's easy to say, I don't have enough of this to make an impact. Has anyone ever felt that way? Man, I'll be honest with you, I've felt that way so often. But the Lord shows me that I have value, that you have value, and it doesn't matter how much you think you know, he knows all things. And if you show up, and you say, Lord, use me. Here I am. Send me. He's going to do that. One of the most powerful moments of my life came from a six-year-old that could barely read. But he followed Jesus, and he spoke something into my life that changed my life forever. So never question your effectability, how effective you can be. Because if you say yes to Jesus, he'll do whatever he wants in you and through you for his kingdom beyond what you could possibly comprehend that you could do. Oh, great, because if he can't, he's not God. I mean, we, we've had a lot of people on staff. We've had a lot of people, that um, leadership that are sick, that are not feeling well. But guess what? God has taken them, showed up today, and God has taken them beyond what they can do and has spoken life. Only God can do that. So let's not limit what he can do because of what we're limited in. Does that make sense? Because it is by faith. Indiana said it best, I can't jump that. That's impossible. But guess what? There's a path right there. You just got to wait for me and take a step. And there it is. Isn't it exciting and terrifying that he's calling us to do this as a church body? Isn't it wonderful? I think it's great. Because now we get to practice, we get to stretch, we get to exercise our spiritual muscles in trusting Jesus so that we can finally have a huge impact. Not that we're not, but continue to have a huge impact on this community and beyond. And that's pretty cool. So this today, it's not to to give you answers to stuff as much as it is to encourage you that we together need to continue to step out in faith and say to our person to our left and our right, you can do it. In the name of Jesus, we can do it. And continue to encourage one another. I never feel more encouraged than when I'm with the body of Christ. I just don't. I just don't. Because the Lord speaks life through each other. And we can get through all things in the name of Jesus. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. And we thank you that you say you never will leave us, you never will forsake us. Lord, as mentioned at the end of chapter 2, if we sell your grace as cheap, then you died for nothing. If we could be saved by adding things to you, to the law, to this, if, if we live by that, then you died for nothing. But you didn't die for nothing. You died so that we, we may have freedom and life in you, and life more abundantly. And we have to trust you. We have to step out. We have to step out in our finances. We have to step out in our relationships. We have to step out in our workplace. Lord, we want to be kingdom builders in the name of Jesus. We want that. It's hard to do that, but we want that. So I pray that you would turn that want in reality because we know who we are and we know that we have authority, all authority in you. So I pray that as the offering comes by, that as we give, we would give out of faith, not out of the reality of situations, but out of faith. Whatever that is, it's got to be you, Lord. Financially, relationally, whatever it is. May we give out of faith. May we live in and out of faith. Just because, Lord, we don't see the path doesn't mean you have it right there in front of us. We just got to continue to abide. So I pray that in this time of offering, this time of worship, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. That we would let ourselves go into your spirit and experience the joy that comes from praising your name, lifting it up in our lives. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Covered me